When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's about 4% of our workload. So there's no question there of us going after them in particular. But we had Lionel Bart. Um... Brian Jones, John Lennon, George Harrison, Dusty Springfield, Levi Stubbs, the Four Tops, and Tabby Hayes, the um, saxophonist. But all in all, um, although these were well-known people at the time, or still are well-known people, and that they weren't selected specifically because of their position. It's just that the information came in and we had to act on it. So today we're joined by Norman Pilcher, who is such an iconic figure. He is also probably known as the Walrus, from I Am The Walrus. He was tasked with not just arresting celebrities, because we're going to get into that as a whole part of this conversation, but in the 60s, yes, he arrested John Lennon, George Harrison, Stones, such iconic figures themselves, and Norman has gone down in folklore. He was transferred from the flying squad to the drug squad, and yes, he was at the forefront of the war on drugs. So does he still think that? Or, spoiler alert, does he think that we need to do some reform work? Well, let's get into this. So this is Stop and Search on Scroobius Distraction Pieces Network, brought to you by ACAST, in association with Elite UK. Oh my word, this is a fascinating conversation. Here we go. Behind your barricade. Thank you so much for joining us on Stop and Search, and today we're joined by Norman Pilcher, also known as The Walrus. His new book, Bent Coppers, is an incredible read about, well, about the start of the war on drugs as we know it. He was at the forefront. He was probably the first foot soldier. So yeah, he arrested John Lennon, George Harrison, the Stones, and, and many other iconic figures of the 60s. But there's so much more to the book. He, he, we talk about police corruption. We talk about what happens when society gets a police service that it deserves. That's a bit of a direct quote from the book. We also talk about Norman going to prison himself. Yeah, he did that. And does he still believe in drug policy? Does he still think that the war on drugs is the way to go? Or, spoiler alert, does he think that reform is the answer? You can get copies of Bent Coppers, and I really recommend you do. And they're signed copies as well, so I don't know about you, but I want one of those signed copies to put on my shelf, because when you've got a signed copy from the Walrus... I think that is one to keep. So go to contact dot 
bentcoppers at gmail.com and find out how to get a signed copy. They're available. Also, you can follow Norman himself at PilcherBC on Twitter. I think we should get straight into this. So thank you so much, Norman. Bent Cop is an amazing read. This is Stop and Search. Here we go. Thank you so much for joining me, Norman. It's just a genuine pleasure to speak to you, someone so iconic. Thank you for so much for joining me. Well, yes, it's a pleasure. You've got, uh, quite frankly, an amazing new book out, um, Bent Coppers. Uh, I'm I'm halfway through reading it. Normally, I like to read all the book, but it's I, I was compelled to speak to you. And there's just so much that I want to pick up on you. I mean, you're probably bored of answering this first question, but it's you've gone down in almost uh, folklore as being potentially the walrus. Is is can you just explain that whole scene and what that's about? Why you could be the walrus? Well, I, I think I most likely am the walrus. Um, it, when it first came out, of course, it was a bit of a bit of a laugh. It's still a bit of a laugh because um, it's something they thought up, and um, it's quite funny. I I don't think I resemble a walrus, but um, <laughs> apart from that, it, it was all a, a joke, uh, a bit of fun. You know, we never took it seriously. So there's a line in in the in the song, uh, similarly the pilchard, I'm the walrus. Uh, so of course the iconic. Uh, written by John Lennon's song. Yes. You have had dealings with the man himself and, and it's been really personable reading your book that you had some very interesting conversations with John Lennon, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, I found him um, a very ple- very pleasant man who was willing to talk about his life and um, I, I, I must admit I did rather envy the lifestyle he had. He just believed in peace and love and... Um, getting on with life so um he was very nice very pleasant man so just to explain uh to listeners you ultimately had the uh the duty stroke pleasure of arresting john lennon didn't you yeah well it, it was it, it it was um never a pleasure it was our job um it, it was no there was no problems with the actual incident at all um he was he accepted what had happened and um he he went to court and pleaded guilty eventually but no he, he understood the situation and um we got on very well i thought so, so that whole scene at the time you were you were tasked with disrupting the supply lines between uh, drug dealers and the celebrity culture in the 60s um, what was that like to be tasked with such a such a high profile job? Well, well, it was, um, but I had a great a great team working with me. Um, there were six of us, and we all worked. We all knew exactly what each other was doing. We knew what the job was about. Um, there was never any unpleasantness at any time. Did we have any problems with anybody? Um, we explained the situation when we went to see them and um, they accepted it. And um, most of them had this view that John had that if he wanted to smoke a joint or a flip or whatever, it was his choice, it was his body um, and it was no business of anybody else. Which, of course, when you look at it, basically, that is true. That is true. 
And um, we, we realised this, and eventually we stopped. We stopped doing possession charges. We went after the um the big boys. So how did it come about that you being tasked to disrupt that celebrity chain in in the sixties? Where was that mandate set from? Well, we were um when I, when I first went there, there, were, there was no drug squad there to be honest. There's a couple of blokes that were messing about. Um, and the problem hasn't really started to arise. Um, and I think maybe we were part of the problem because um, we were told or we were told or asked by the Home Office to um, to have a go at these people who were setting a bad example to their youngsters. Um, we didn't specifically go after, I didn't say, um, oh, we go and get um, the Rolling Stones this week or we go and get um, John Lennon this week. That wasn't the situation. We had information coming, or I had information coming in regarding these people, and I, I, I acted on that, but it, there was no immediate surge forward to go dashing after them. It was a question of working through the information we had and when their time came up, it came up. But it was mainly from pressure from, um, initially, pressure from the politicians who, as you know, if they get involved in anything, it always goes belly up. So um, that was the situation. That's why I find it particularly fascinating that you were tasked to do that because you were very keen as well, despite the fact that you were going for high publicity people. You say in the book that you wanted to make sure that you kept the publicity down and that the media shouldn't get involved. That must have been quite a tricky job for you. Well, that's right. Um, the, the press were overall pretty good to us. Um, there was a lot of nonsense written about us um, that came from the um, anti, anti-establishment press um, who loved to tell a nice story about us, um, things we were supposed to have done and things we were not supposed to have done. It, it was all rubbish. It was absolute rubbish from day one. Um, it And my... my when I when I first when I arrested um Brian Jones initially um it hit me when we came out of court and saw the number of people there in the press and I thought I I'd have to be very careful about how I dealt with these people because um if this was a situation it was not gonna be good. But all in all we just didn't want the press involved. If they were involved afterwards, fair enough, but the number of cases we actually bought because the press had been tipped off um, really made the job difficult for us. So would you be able to give us a little bit of insight into the people that you did arrest at the time that were very much of high profile? So we mentioned John Lennon, Brian Jones. Who else was there? Let's have a look. We had... Um, we only... Now, the, the story was that we were harassing and going after um, celebrities. Well, in fact, we only arrested um, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
We only arrested seven in all. Now that was a very small, it was about 4% of our workload. So there's no question there of us going after them in particular, but we had Lionel Bart, um, Brian Jones, John Lennon, George Harrison, Dusty Springfield, Levi Stubbs, the four tops, and Tubby Hayes, the um, saxophonist, who um, uh, we try, I tried to help out because he was in a bad way, but unfortunately he died. But all in all, um, although these were well-known people at the time, or are, well, all still are well-known people, and that they weren't selected specifically because of their position. It's just that the information came in and we had to act on it. That's why I was almost reticent to lead with this questioning, because it must be a case of, as you said, only 4% was, was the celebrity culture, and yet you've got all of this 96 other uh, percent that you've done work with and, and on drug cases. But the media, and I myself included, have just been guilty of always go for those high-profile figures. So what's that like from your position when you've got all this other body of work and yet people still want to go after those big stories of John Lennon and, 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 the, and the likes? Well, it made, us, made it difficult for us. I'm going to say, we keep talking about John Lennon, but um, the, the book is about um, primarily um, bent coppers because I, I had to work amongst them for six or seven years at, at the yard particularly bad, particularly bad area for corruption. And we had to work with these people um, who were commanders and chief superintendents and we knew that we knew that they were totally corrupt and um, it was very difficult to work under them. And if they gave me a, if they gave me an instruction, I usually went against it and made up my own mind on what I would do. But all in all, the book is about trying to tell the public the, the way, the culture in the enforcement services. And it's still there. It'll always be there until they work out ways to stop it. But all that's, in that's all, I had, a, I had a good time at the yard because we kept ourselves to ourselves. That's a really good segue into what we want to talk about now, which is there's a great quote in the book that society gets the police service that it deserves. So at the time in the 60s, what was that police service service like to work in? Well, that was exactly what you say. Every society gets the police service it deserves. Um, and at that time, um, there, was, there were real professional villains about who were making millions out of different things. And of course, when when these officers are made to you as a as an investigator, then if you're weak, you aren't, you you accept it. But you, you can't carry on like this. You, you cannot carry on like this. Um, it it was it was so corrupt. It was so corrupt that it was open. Everybody knew what was going on, and no one did anything. Commissioner after commissioner did nothing. Robert Mark came in on his white charger to clear up the corruption in the map. It was worse when he left than when he came. So um, he did absolutely nothing. 
Why do you think that is we have got such a culture of corruption back then? And I'll get your take on it in the police service now later. But is it just the fact that society turns a blind eye, that institutionalised uh, ranks just build upon each other? Why Why was there such a body of corruption? Well, you've got... Um... One thing, you've got a legal service that is not up to scratch. It's not good for purpose. The legal service, in my view, is a joke. Well, it's only my view. But the the corruption within the force was endemic. Um, and it has been since 1839 when the, when the police were first formed. And the biggest problem is the toxic um, influence of free... Of, Freemasonry, when it pops up in its ugly scenes, I'm saying, I would say the vast majority of senior police officers are Freemasons. And to go through the promotion system, you've got to be a Freemason. Um, and they get involved in all sorts of things. Um, their, their policies, of course, Look after your fellow Masons. Well, I do look after the fellow Masons, and unfortunately, that involves crime as well. So it's a, it's very difficult to deal with people like that. Do you think there's an, an allowance of corruption as well? Because you start off early in the book saying that there's such terminology as honourable corruption and noble cause corruption. Do you think that there's this this toxic environment where we just go along with it because we think we're getting results? Well, yeah, there's um, there is the what they call the honourable corruption. If 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 you're doing, if you're doing, if you're involved in bending the walls or breaking the walls for a job, that's accepted. But if you're doing it for yourself, forget it because they'll get you in the end. Um, and the public know. I think the public accept that this goes on, but it gets it gets the job done, and they accept it. Um, you know, the, the jury service is quite interesting. Um, a, a little little tip: if you're sitting on a jury, and the defence counsel never claim that they're client is um, a good man of no previous convictions, you can bet your life, if they don't mention that, you can bet your life the person is representing has got convictions. So think about that. Um, it, it might help you to make a decision on, on what, you, what you're going to do. But that's a little thing that um, everybody knows. But the legal system is is um, as corrupt as, I'll say, as corrupt as the enforcement agencies because they, they all know it's a game they play. I've described it as a circus, um, and it is a circus. Certainly in our case, uh, at our trial, it was an absolute circus. It really was. There's some great stories in the book about you in some some battles with um with the de with um defense teams in court which which i really recommend the, the reader to go out there and buy your book for that alone because it's, it's hilarious but um you you mentioned in the book quite early on obviously that 
you went into the police service, um, maybe somewhat naively. Can you just explain your process of why you joined up and, and what you learned within that process? Well, well I, was, I was in the military, in, in the military police, so it's a natural follow-on to come out and join the police service. And I joined the Met because I thought, well, that's where the action is in the Met. Now, I've, I, I do not, I've never believed and I will not believe that any of us join the police service to become corrupt. I'm certain that's not so. In fact, um, it's when you get involved, when you get into certain positions in the police service, um, such as special crime squads or heavy duty crime, offers are made to you by villains. Um, can I get a bit of bail, please? Um, you know, as a couple of hundred quid if you can get me bail, all this sort of thing. And of course, people people do that. They take it, they take it up. Or uh, another dodge is if you've if you're dealing with a case and you you're presenting the facts to the court, you you might um say to the court, "Oh, this man has." Two previous convictions, my lord, um, knowing that that will give him a, a, a lighter sentence or no sentence, when in fact he's most likely got 20 convictions. So that's the way a, a, a lot of them earn a few bob, just um, changing the details put to the court. And this is a basic corruption that goes on. You, you was informed early on during your training that you've got to learn the culture of policing and how you'd, you'd have to learn that as you go. So what was that like, the, the learning that what goes on within the police force and the things that are unwritten? That must have been tricky to navigate. Well, well it is. Um, you either set your mind to saying, I'm not going to get involved. And if you can stick really biting a bullet and um, don't get involved. I mean, say, the first instance I had of, it's not, uh, you, I don't think you could say it was corruption, but I worked at, in Covent Garden, which was a fantastic place. It must have been the best police station in the world, Bow Street. Fantastic. And um, I, I worked on on a point, on a junction one, one week, and um, helping all the market porters out and all that. And on Saturday morning, someone slipped up, an envelope in my hand and it had a few bob in it and I thought well, what's that and I uh, I was so shocked I virtually ran up to the police station popped in the sergeant's office and um, said oh I've just been given this envelope with some money in it and I was told just dump it on put it on the table and these sergeants are sitting there counting out cash and I thought oh my good god this is what I've got into but that was only a minor thing um Things like being having a free meal at the Indian restaurant or a, a free pint in the pub on night duty, this sort of thing. But it gradually escalates as you go through the system, and you either reject it or you take it. So that must have been very, very tricky to to work out what was acceptable. Uh, you mentioned as well within the book that even things like diary entries. That was manipulated to such a degree that there was no written rules on what should and shouldn't be done. So 
how do you navigate that as a both an experienced police officer but also as someone that's a recruit? Well, I think luckily, luckily for the service, the vast majority of them do navigate it and do not get involved in it. It's only a small percentage that that do get involved. I'm going to say you you won't find anywhere in my in my view a, a, a better group of men than those blokes out in the streets walking the streets day and night. They're fantastic. They never run away from anything. They'll they'll run into it, sort things out, and the public appreciate that. I think, but you do get a few bad, a few bad apples in them. You know. Now the the thing with the diaries. Now, as as a CID officer, you you have to keep a diary, um, which is supposed to be checked once a week, which which it often isn't. outlining what you've been doing for the day. Now, that's those diaries, you leave them on your desk and all this, and anybody can read them. And um, anybody who's being a bit nosy um, can have a look, see what you're doing. Now, in the, in the job we were doing, there was a lot of interest in what we were doing, where we were going, where we, what we were doing on a particular day. So we became known as the Whispering Squad um, because we used to meet in a local coffee bar in the morning, discuss our day's work and and then go and do it. But you also had in the office a day book where you just booked out to, so London Airport back at 12 o'clock or um, out to an address back after, you know, this sort of thing. And this information was open to anybody who wanted to look at it. And we did have people in the office who were selling information to the press. Um, This really got up my nose because we had to abort so many jobs. In the end, I saw um, my chief inspector, Kelleher, and said, we can't carry on like this. What can we do? And we agreed that we would put false entries in our diaries and in the day book. And this is what we did. Um, it wasn't any conspiracy of any sort. It was just something we had to do to prevent this information being leaked out. And that's what we did. In the end, of course, we came unstuck on it because the entries you put in our diary were hairy-fairy. Um, I didn't tie in with the evidence we gave in court. But I can assure you, the evidence that we gave in court was what happened. Not the evidence in our diaries. They used that against us to get a conviction. And again, I really recommend that people read the book for this story, because I won't go into it too much, but you did see the inside of prison yourself, which is such a unique perspective to have you know, follow the thin blue line like you did for your career and then also see what it's like in prison. It it must have been actually really invaluable insight to have seen what prison was like. So what did you learn from inside those walls? Well, um, I, 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 never, I never thought we'd be convicted in the first place because the case is so weak, but it was set up against us. The judge was the judge ran the, convic- ran the prosecution 
Melford Stevenson and he had had instructions to make sure that we were convicted. Well, we were convicted, um, three of us, and we went to prison. Um, I had a couple of days in Wormwood Scrubs, the others were moved to the open prison straight away. But we joined hands at um, the open prison down at Ford. And to, to be honest, the the punishment was being away from your family and losing your career. But apart from that, there's no punishment. It's a holiday camp. It was brilliant. We had a great time there. And you, you, you certainly got involved in cricket while you was in there, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, so we played cricket up at the castle. Um, I played football every week and I got my refereeing qualifications there it was it was lovely it was it really was and we so we had our own own rooms with a telly and a phone and all this sort of thing and we used to go out for a drink when we wanted to so it, it was a holiday camp what was what was your reception like from the inmates did they know of your career oh yeah 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 well, um went to Wormwood Scrubs the, the, night we spent there um i mean so they they were pouring um urine under the cell door and all this sort of nonsense um but i can assure you we caught the bloke concerned in the showers the next morning and he wasn't very happy when he left the showers <laughs> so so we, we made our imprint on them and um, when we went to Ford there was initially a bit of um, um, you know a bit of awkwardness but we soon settled down they realised that we were just normal people and um, we I had the plum job of looking after the welfare officers and um, you know that meant that the inmates there came to me for help. So it worked, it worked out all right. It was just, just that, that career that I, I set my heart on was taken away from me. Yeah, by the people who should have been looking after us, in effect. In other words, the commissioner. It, he should have been looking after our interests, not trying to put us in prison. That must have been difficult for you to have such a passion for the job, but then to have it taken away from you. You said that being in prison, being away from your family was was punishment enough, but that as well, the fact that you did love the career, but then, you know, left it in the way you did, that must have been hard as well. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, well, it was the instance where, um, they allowed me to go to Australia because I, I, I just, we decided, our family decided to move to Australia because I'd been offered a job out there with the federal police, which I, which I would have gone into, obviously. But then they tried to make out that I'd, I, I'd done a runner. Well, of course, it was nonsense. I, I've, got, I've got permission from the commander that everything was all right to, to, to move. So that was one of the nasty things they did. Um, one of the many nasty things I did, but um, no, I, I, 
I wasn't I wasn't bitter really I just accepted it and just got on with life ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You, you've witnessed the corruption between the police force and and, and the drug rings firsthand. Um, you mentioned it in the book as well that what was that like to see how in bed the police service were or individuals uh, I don't want to completely throw the police services under the bus but there were certain individuals that were involved in in some dodgy dealings what was it like to navigate that whole scene well it was um it was difficult it was difficult because um if you had a decent job you know, like, um, we had some really good jobs um with seizures of large quantities of drugs and as often as not, I would be walking down the passageway in the office next day, and um, the commander of the of C1, Wally Virgo, I'll name him, Wally Virgo, totally corrupt. He would say, oh, uh, good job there, Nobby, last night. Very good job. Well done. Um, a, a good earner, I should think. And I, I used to hold my head in my hand and say, think, good earner, what are you talking about? And he would say, well, don't forget where my office is. And I, I, I knew what he was, but for him to openly say, you've had a good earner, there was no earners. There was no earners. It was ridiculous. But that's 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 the sort of um, mindset they had, and there were there were a lot of them, a lot of them, who were eventually dealt with by um, the courts. Um, an absolute disgrace. 
and you also had it as well where a lot of work went into operations where you completely uh, busted uh, rings and, and, and families that were involved in the drug trade but then basically were let off that what's it like to go through that process of putting so much time into an operation only for it to not hold up at the end of it well yeah we um I mean, so some of these jobs took six months. Six months of constant work and, you know, working around the clock. Um, when I, when they, um, how can I say, I say to you without being rude, when they dumped on me in the end, I was running a, a, a team that were planning to, Bringing cocaine um, in in big amounts, and I mean big amounts. They were very shrewd professional operators, um, and I was halfway through um, dealing with them. And when they dumped on me, I thought, no, no. I'm not going to pass this information on. I'm going to keep it to myself and I'll, um, I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll, I'll deal with it in my own way. I'll just completely shut the, shut the case down. And these men, after we left, made millions. And I mean made millions from the cocaine importation. That customs and excise had no idea about, no idea at all, and they retired after about eight or nine years with so much money you couldn't count it, and that 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 would never have got that far if I'd been left alone to get on with the job. And you you mentioned there as well that six months went into certain operations i think people need to remember as well this is old style policing isn't it in the sense that you had to be on the ground you had to do meticulous research and informants how, how much of that has changed between the the police service that you were involved in then to what it's evolved into now well i, I I've, I've watched the service for the last 40 years i've seen it gradually deteriorate and but I, I, I can't understand why they've got so much assistance now as an investigator you've got so much technical assistance um in the form of digital and scientific evidence and all the rest of it that the, 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 the um crime scene people are virtually solving the cases in my view um the, the investigators just do the do the groundwork now, and um, it's so much better now than it was in our day. This the equipment they've got to carry out these inquiries are fantastic, and more sent to their elbow. Good luck to them. Um, but I don't think the police service is anything like it should be. It's um very poorly supervised and this is the problem supervision um, administration and leadership from the top 
the number of police officers I speak to who say they just get no support at all from their senior officers. How much is it you had to rely on informants um, in the 60s? You mentioned in the book a sex worker called Eve that was very valuable to you. Um, what what was it like dealing with informants and how valuable were they? Well, they, they, were, the, they were the backbone of um, the work. Um, if you didn't get the intel, didn't get the information in, then you had nothing. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't get out on the streets yourself and find it. You had to have information. And that particular woman was um, absolutely gold dust to me. Um, she, she never grasped up her clients because she dealt with high-profile clients, judges and legal profession, senior police officers, all these sort of people she dealt with and she never ever um, grasped on any of them. She just gave me information she got in general conversation with people. But she was absolutely brilliant, um, lovely woman, oh, gorgeous woman. Um, I don't know how she is now. I think she may have died actually. But um, she was, she was really good. She was worth her weight in gold to me. And you describe an incident uh, which you allude to there that when you first met her, you also met someone else that was quite well known at the time, a certain MP. That must have been quite a tricky situation. That <laughs> <laughs> was, was one of the first jobs I did. And I, um, it was so funny. It was funny, actually. It was funny. I said, to walk in this room and see this chap strapped to the bed, his hands tied to the bed head, um, stark naked, was was hilarious. And because I, I recognised him as who he was. Um, but I just walked out and left her. Um, got the search and I, I said to her when I left her, because I didn't charge her, because um, we'd agreed on this um, inf information thing we had, I didn't charge her. But I did ask her not to go back to the flat for two or three hours, just let him lay there. <laughs> and, and, and that's what she did. And I thought that was quite hilarious. <laughs> that must have been, uh, yeah, I can only imagine what that was like for you to have to deal with such a, because you said that he didn't back down. He, he went on the attack. <laughs> so that must have been interesting in itself. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah, he was, um, do you know who I am? You know who I am, and all that sort of nonsense they come out with. Uh, I, I, if I'd been in his position, I, I would have tried to keep quiet and cover my, cover my face rather than cause a stir. But um, anyway, she she was um lovely. She she was um she did a job. She did a job. She was providing a service, and um, good luck to her. So. On the back of that point that you made in the book about catching a well-known senior MP, yeah, 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 you you make the point that there was a it showed to you that there was a them and us attitude. Oh, Do you think that still exists today? Absolutely. Well, I think it's worse now. It's worse now than ever. I really do think it's worse than ever. I'm going to say 
in, in that it, at that time it was all sort of casual and taken for granted but it goes on all the time they, I, I don't know why they think they're um they're public servants for god's sake we pay their bills but there's very few of them who can say that honestly serve the public they they're, they're self-serving they're self-serving they're um they go they go for the big jobs and all this sort of nonsense but they're not they're not they're not good um and the problem is that when they poke their nose into something as i've said before i when when we did john lennon we had one dopey twit in parliament um asked a question in the house why was it that we didn't tell john lennon that we were going to pay him a visit now come on come on anybody with two brain cells knows better than that um why didn't we want oh john we're on our way around in a moment with a search warrant and i had to do a report for the home for the home secretary outlining what actually happened well that, that's in the book i think this is in the book here that report but what a stupid what a stupid question john asked in the house of commons for me that's why it's such a privilege to speak to you because you were at the forefront of what we now term the war on drugs the the fact that you were there making these high high profile arrests and you say as well that drug drug offenses were the easy ones to prove but you also you also had a lot of discretion didn't you where you flushed a lot down the toilet on certain raids where you just didn't think that it was within the interest to prosecute i'm no angel Believe me, I'm no angel. I've done things that maybe I shouldn't have done in my time. But I was, I was dedicated to the job. I love the job. It was a, absolutely, it, it is for any youngster now to join the police service, do it. Because you're dealing with the public, you're helping people out, and um, that's what life's all about. Would you say that you did have a change of mindset within your job? Because you're very outspoken in the book, uh, in in other interviews that I've seen as well, where you now believe that drug policy should be overhauled and that we should reform, regulate, and in quotation marks, legalise. Uh, how how was that process formed for you of prosecuting as or 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 making arrests at the time, but then? having this moment of clarity of like, actually we should reform our drug policy. What can you explain that process to me? Well, uh, I first started thinking that way when I met John Lennon and, and George Harrison and others. Um, but I did a report for the Home Office in 1970 or might be before then, outlining my views on that the fact that we were having this drug war was a complete and utter waste of time. It would never work. Um, prohibition in the state proved that, and our, our people, governors, don't seem to look back on history. I'm going to say the 
prohibition prohibition days um, increased the crime in America by, oh, I don't know, by hundreds of percents. And the same thing has happened here. The majority of crime now is committed by people who need to get money for drugs. What's the point? Why not? Why not control it the same as you control alcohol? Why not do that? When I first joined the drug squad, um, drug dependents, heroin addicts, got their prescriptions from a doctor. Went to Boots, got their prescription filled, and you would never know these people were drug addicts. They were just normal people. But suddenly that was knocked on the head when they stopped doctors doing it um, because some doctors were making money out of it. And ever since then, it's escalated into a state of... So you go, you go up to um, Canary Wharf and you can go to any toilet and you'll find lines of cocaine. You'll find it all over the place. I used to work at uh, a top-range golf club recently, and I, I would go in in the morning, check the toilets, and I'd find lines of cocaine after a wedding. Everywhere, everywhere you go, there's no control over it. Control it properly. Um, Criminalising people using drugs is not the way out of it. Not the way out of it, and... You can't seem to get this through to these dopey politicians, just what trouble they're causing. I realised it early on, though, and we stopped doing possession charges. We only went after the big boys. So if I could see it with my intelligence, I'm damn sure they could see it. What, what hope do you think we've got? of reforming our drug laws. Do you think people will get it and understand it, how you've explained it? Eventually, they're going to have to. They're going to have to. Because if, if they, if they um, control it, it in the same way as the alcohol, and any way you can go and get your... Crime will fall for the floor. Crime will just... just vanish... And they've got to take. They've got to take some form of action and do it, and do it. There are countries all over the world that are doing it now, but we have to say, oh no, we know what the best system is. We don't know. We don't know what the best system is, and we'll, we'll see. I don't think I'll see it in my day because um, there's not much left. But there you are. <laughs> So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up now because it's it's been so fascinating talking to you, Norman. I thank you so much for that. But I want I want to close with you, just hypothesising what you think could happen: a for drug policy, but also b for the police service in general. How, in your valued opinion, do you think that the police service should evolve? What does it look like in the future for you? Yeah, um, I wrote I wrote this book to um outline to the public what um what's going on is if 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 anybody's interested in they they can get us on contact email at contact dot bentcoppers at gmail dot com. It's um 
I think it's a good book. There's a few signed copies left to be to be sold. Um, I've, I've signed them, and if they get onto that contact number, I'm sure they'll um, enjoy the read. As I say, I wrote the book as it happened, as I recall it happening. There's nothing in there that is dishonest or wrong. Uh, I'll say again, I love the police service. I love the people I served. Um, and I, I was just very sad to have my ass kicked out of it. Well, Norman, thank you so, so much for talking to me. I, you're just so fascinating with the things that you've seen in your career and life. Um, you, you've gone down in, in literal folklore and culture so thank you so so much for joining us yeah and thank you for the um the interview i wish you well and just look after yourself in these dangerous days be careful thank you so much norman for having that conversation with us whoa brilliant absolutely fantastic and yes you can get a copy a signed copy find out and they're limited don't forget they're limited to getting quick so go to contact.bentcoppers at gmail.com and find out how you can get a signed copy and thank you so much Norman thank you so much and while we're on thank yous thank you to Scooby's Pip for having us on your network to Tristan, John and Nikki the producers of this show who do so much thank you to Johnny Borrell for the theme tune and thank you to My Name Is Ad for the artwork and John Harris always John Harris he's lovely thank you for all you do on our social media and yes, we're off now. And don't forget all the all the Twitters and Instagrammies and gubbins and things. So ukleap.org is our Facebook and our website. And at ukleap is our Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe, share, all those things that help. Go buy Norman's book and we'll see you next time. Bye. Behind your barricades Yeah, but how long Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.